Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we're going to be reading Chapter 2 of The Gift of Tongues, pages 13 through 18. The title of the chapter is History of Languages. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And the reader portion of this program is about 14 minutes long. After we go through the reader portion of the program, we will take uh, calls and then uh, I'll do the commentary portion of the program. Thank you for listening. History of Languages Chapter 2 of Gift of Tongues, pages 13 to 18, the language of God was the first language spoken upon the earth. Then as men became sinful in their lives, their language also became corrupted and foul. Wicked men could no longer speak a pure language. The first major catastrophe to the Adamic language occurred at the Tower of Babel. The government and people of Nimrod, the grandson of Ham, had turned from the teachings and truths of God. Even though the Lord had warned them to repent of their wickedness, they still persisted in their degraded and rebellious course. The great city of Babel was about to receive a curse which would afflict all mankind for many thousands of years. The confusion and dispersion of this great city caused the birth of a multitude of nations and languages. From amidst the great city of Babel were two noble men of God, Jed and his brother. Because of a special petition to heaven, the Lord had compassion upon Jed. Therefore he did not confound the language of Jed and his brother and their friends and families. Therefore, with one exception, the curse of confusion, scattering, and the loss of the pure language of God fell upon all men. The pure language of God suffered first at the Tower of Babel, because they turned away from God. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Genesis this was one of the first curses of God upon mankind. And since this curse of confusion and scattering was caused by wickedness, it will require righteousness and the Spirit of God to bring men and their languages together again. That same being that destroyed the memory of the people at the building of the tower, so that they could not remember their own mother tongue, and the same being that gave to them new languages and tongues, will operate again by his power to do away with this curse, for I consider it a curse and the blessing will be as great and as extensive as the curse, 
in destroying it from the face of the earth. Other nations and people have continued to suffer with language changes. One of the more recent changes was among the Lamanite Indian people. They did murder the chief judge of the land and the people were divided one against another, and they did separate one from another into tribes, every man according to his family and his kindred and friends, and thus they did destroy the government of the land. And every tribe did appoint a chief or a leader over them, and thus they became tribes and leaders of tribes. Nephi, the Indian nations exist today as tribes with a chief to rule each tribe. They suffered the curse of Babel with each tribe adopting a different language. Similarly the whole world suffers, as multitudes of nations gather, as it were, at the Tower of Babel and dash the United Nations and dash attempting to reach agreements and peace. With all of the interpreters, radio communication systems and policy makers, language is still a barrier, and peace has never been less secure. Theologians of all denominations have studied the problem of Glossolia, but have been able to contribute little or nothing for its solution. Languages and dialects have continually been a barrier between people of nations. In a few instances these barriers provide the means of detecting an enemy or a friend. One of these lamentable circumstances happened at the River Jordan. It occurred through the inability of the Ephraimites to pronounce the Hebrew word Shibboleth, a stream. This language and dialect barrier was the reason for 42,000 of the Ephraimites to lose their lives. And the Jalebites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites, and it was so, that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, Let me go over, that the men of Jalib said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said, Nay, then said they unto him, Say now Shibboleth, and he said Shibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him, and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. The curse of Babel has reached proportions of over three thousand different languages upon the earth today. Many nations have desired that their own native tongue become a universal language. However, this has only caused jealousies and barriers and inevitable failure. Artificial languages have been created with the hope that they would become a universal means of communication between nations. Through the years more than 600 languages have been created for this purpose, meeting with little success. The most successful the Esperanto language, was developed by a Polish man who published his first Esperanto book in 1887. Today there are nearly 8 million people who speak or read this language, but it is not meeting with the success for which it was created. It was created. The difficulty of establishing one common language was explained in an interesting editorial entitled Other Tongues. Mankind has long desired the establishment of a universal language, by means of which nations could understand each other without the necessity of spending so much time in the study of foreign tongues. The diversity of speech existing at present is frequently referred to as that curse of Babel. 
Many serious attempts have been made to construct an artificial language and to secure its adoption by the world in general. The nations today are in constant communication with one another, and a common medium of speech would seem to be in every way desirable. Perhaps the most important effect of the kind was that which resulted in the publication of the Vilapiuk, a so-called language, in fact rather a skeleton plan for a language, arranged upon the simplest and most consistent rules of grammar and construction as understood by man. The great obstacle in the way of adopting such a man-made speech is the fact that it possesses no literature of its own. It is newly born, and with no history, while one of the chief incentives to the study of foreign language is the hope of reaching the written treasures of the nations with whom that language is common. There appears to be little promise that the confusion of tongues will be removed in any such way as that proposed. At the present time, English, German, and French are the most widely used of the modern classical tongues and a person possessing a reading and speaking knowledge of these may make his way with but little difficulty among all civilized nations. In this connection it should be remembered by the Latter-day Saints that perhaps no other people have better reason than have we for pursuing the study of foreign languages. We ought to be distinguished for our ability as linguists. Our communities consist of representatives from many countries, and the sure word of prophecy teaches us that this composite condition will continue and increase amongst us. Many of our people are versed in other tongues than the English. Some of them have come here while entirely ignorant of the common language of our country, and in their laudable efforts to acquire our speech they often neglect their own. It would be easy for them to give their children a knowledge of the language which is so familiar to themselves. Linguistic ability is in demand. It is indeed of an actual money value, but an incentive to such study greater by far than any hope of pecuniary gain exists among the Latter-day Saints. The cause of God has need of worthy men and women versed in the languages of the world. Men who can go abroad and carry the message of salvation into the houses of those who know not our speech. Yet in common with our fellow Americans we are behind many of the other nations in our devotion to the study of languages. The variety of languages on the earth is the result of wickedness, so the question now is, will the earth ever receive a common language among the nations? The Apostolos and Pratt spoke on this subject and explained the promise of a universal language. Let us now compare our present means of obtaining knowledge with the facilities which are, no doubt, in store for the people of God. Will there be a pure language restored? There will, through the testimony of the prophets. We are also told that tongues shall cease. We are to understand by this that the great varieties of languages and tongues that have existed on the earth for many ages are to be done away. They are to cease. Now something must take the place of those imperfect, confused languages and tongues. What is that something? It is a language that is spoken by higher orders of beings than ourselves. That is, beings that have progressed further than ourselves. It is that same language that was spoken for nearly 2,000 years after the creation, that was spoken by Adam and by his children 
from generation to generation that came down to the flood and was taught extensively among the children of Noah until the Lord by direct miracle caused the people to forget their own mother tongue and gave them a variety of new tongues that they had no knowledge of and by this means scattered them abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And now that same being that destroyed the memory of the people at the building of the tower, so that they could not remember their own mother tongue, and the same being that gave to them new languages and tongues, will operate again by his power to do away this curse, for I consider it a curse, and the blessing will be as great and as extensive as the curse, in destroying it from the face of the earth. Journal of Discourses The promise has been made by the Lord that someday we would have a common language and a peaceful earth. Now we shall look at the evidences of that promise being fulfilled and how man will be able to achieve that blessed condition. Man will be able to achieve that blessed condition. Chapter 3 The Gift of Speaking in Tongues So like I said before, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. For those of you who desire to speak with me privately, you can do so during the recording portion, or the recorded portion of this program. Uh, I will be monitoring the studio, and so will my son Emmett. And um, you can ask me questions off the air. If you do decide to call in during, uh, after the recorded portion of this program, uh, you can call in the same number. It's 917-889-8827. And I will bring you into the call screening room and then ask you where you're from, what your first name is, and what is your question or comment. And then uh, if you decide to go live on the air, uh, you can ask live on the air, and then I will try to answer it to the best of my ability, whatever the question is. Uh, I'll take questions that have to do with uh, this chapter or anything in Restorationalist uh, Theology, um, or whatever it is that you want to ask me about who I am and what my thoughts are and things, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, but you can... You can uh, you know, the guest call-in line is open and available for anybody uh, who has any of those types of questions. All right. Uh, the, oh, also, if my wife can tonight, I don't know if she will be able to, but uh, after this portion of the program, if we don't have any callers, then uh, she'll probably be reading the next chapter in um, How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom Today. So... Let's go to this point. The History of Languages, Chapter 2 of Gift of Tongues, pages 13 through 18. The language of God was the first language spoken upon the earth. Then as men became sinful in their lives, their languages also became corrupted and foul. Wicked men could no longer speak a pure language. The first major catastrophe to the Adamic language occurred at the Tower of Babel, or Babel. 
the government and people of Nimrod, the grandson of Ham, had turned from the teachings and truths of God, even though the Lord had warned them to repent of their wickedness, they still persisted in their degraded and rebellious course. The great city of Babel was about to receive a curse which would afflict all mankind for many thousands of years. The confusion and dispersion of this great city caused the birth of a multitude of nations and languages. From amidst the great city of Babel were two noble men of God, Jared and his brother, and his brother's name, according to Joseph Smith, was Mohanrai Moyankamer. Because of a special petition to heaven, the Lord had com- compassion upon Jared. Therefore, he did not confound the language of Jared and his brother, Mohanrai Moyankamer, and their families, our uh, friends and family. That's according to Ether chapter 1, verse 34. Therefore, with one exception, the curse of confusion, scattering and the loss of the pure language of God fell upon all men. The pure language of God suffered first at the Tower of Babel because they turned away from God. We're on page 14. Quote, Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the languages of all the earth, and from uh, from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Barashit, or Genesis, chapter 11, verse 9. This was one of the first curses of God upon mankind, and since this curse of confusion and scattering was caused by wickedness, it will require righteousness in the Spirit of God to bring men and their languages together again that same being that destroyed the memory of the people at the building of the tower so that they could not remember their own mother tongue and the same being that gave them the new language, languages and tongues will operate again by his power to do away with this curse for I consider it a curse and the blessings will be as great and as extensive as the curse in destroying it from the face of the earth. And quote, Orson Pratt in his book, Masterful Discourses, by uh, page 498. Other nations and people have continued to suffer with language changes. One of the more recent changes was among the Lamanitish people, or the Indians of North America. Well, actually, it just says Lamanite people. Um, I believe that the Lamanite and the Nephite people were in the heartland. I totally go along with Rod Meldrum's heartland model and that the Iroquois Indians were uh, of Jewish ancestry. Uh, But anyway, I'll just continue on. Uh, They have haplogroup X, which is a Semitic or, or DNA from the Middle East. So, a lot of people want to say that there is no evidence of DNA in the uh, in the Indian cultures of North or South America, and they say that they're lying. 
outright or they just are ignorant. They don't know. Anyway, they did murmur the chief the chief judge of the land and the people were divided one against another and they did separate one from another into tribes every man according to his family and his kindred and friends and thus they did destroy the government of the land and every tribe did appoint a chief or a leader over them and thus they became tribes and leaders of tribes and that's according to third nephi chapter 7 verses 3 and 4 the Indian nations exist today as tribes with chief, a chief to rule over each tribe. They suffered the curse of Babel with each tribe adopting a different language. Page 15. Similarly, the whole world suffers as multitudes of nations gather, as it were, at the Tower of Babel, the United Nations, attempting to reach agreements and peace. With all of the interpreters, radio communication systems, and policy makers, language is still a barrier, and peace has never been less secure. Theologians of all denominations have studied the problem of glossolalia, I guess, I don't know how to say that word, but have been able to contribute little or nothing for its solution. So, glossolalia, let's see what that means. If I can pull up the definition here. Wow, there's no definition found. So, okay, well, we'll continue on. Continuing, we'll continue on with this. Languages and dialects have continually been a barrier between people and nations. In a few instances, these barriers provide the means of detecting an enemy or a friend. One of these lamentable circumstances happened at the River Jordan. It occurred through the inability of the Ephraimites to pronounce the Hebrew word Shibboleth, or, um, which means a stream, apparently. This language and dialect barrier was the reason for 42,000 of the Ephraimites to lose their lives. And the Jaredites took passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, art thou an Ephraimite? And he said, nay. Then said they unto him, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passage of the river Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. That's according to Judges in the Old Testament, or the Tanakh, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. The curse of Babel was re- has reached proportions of over 3,000 different languages upon the earth today. Many nations have desired that their own native tongue become a universal language. However, this has only caused jealousies and barriers and inevitable failure. Artificial languages have been created with the hope that they would become a universal means of communication between the nations. Through the years, more than 6 
hundred languages have been created for this purpose, meeting with little success. Page 16. The most successful, or the Esperanto language, was developed by a Polish man who published his first Esperanto book in 1887. Today, there are nearly 8 million people who speak and read this language, but it is not meeting with the success for which it was created. The difficulty of establishing one common language was explained in an interesting editorial entitled Other Tongues. Mankind has long desired the establishment of a universal language by the means of which nations could understand each other without the necessity of spending so much time in the study of foreign tongues. The diversity of speech existing at present is frequently referred to as the curse of Babel. Many serious attempts have been made to construct an artificial language and to secure its adoption by the world in general. The nations today are in in constant communication with one another, and a common medium of speech would seem to be in every way desirable. Perhaps the most important effects of the kind was that which resulted in the publication of the Volupuk, a so-called language, in fact, rather a skeleton plan for a language, arranged upon the simplest and most consistent rules of grammar and construction as understood by men. The great obstacle in the way of adopting such a man-made speech is in fact that it possesses no literature of its own. It is newly born, and with no history. While one of the chief incentives to study to the study of foreign language is the hopes of reaching the written treasures of the nations which whom that language is common. There appears to be little promise that the confusion of tongues will be removed in any such way as that proposed. At the present time, English, German, and French are the most widely used of the modern classical tongues, and a person and a person possessing a reading or speaking knowledge of these may make may make his way with but little difficulty among all civilized nations. Page 17. In this connection, it should be remembered by the Latter-day Saints that perhaps no other people have better reasons than we have for pursuing the study of foreign languages. We ought to be distinguished for our inability as linguists. Our communities consist of representatives from many countries, and the sure word of prophecy teaches us that this composite condition will continue and increase amongst us. Many of our people people are versed in other tongues than English. Some of them have come here while entirely ignorant of the common language of our country, and in their laudable efforts to acquire our speech, they often neglect their own. It would be easy for them to give their children a knowledge of the language which is so familiar to themselves. Linguistic ability is in demand. 
It has indeed an actual money value, but an incentive to such study greater by far than any hope of pecuniary gain. I'm going to check out what that word means. Let's see. Oxford Dictionary. Actually, I got to... Well, it's an adjective. It says he was free from all pecuniary anxieties. And it has to do with financial, monetary, money, fiscal, economic, capital, commercial, budgetary. So, okay. The cause... Let's see here. The cause of God has need of worthy men and women versed in the languages of the world, men who can go abroad and carry the, the, salva- or the message of salvation into the house of those who know, who know not our speech. Yet in common with our fellow Americans, we are behind many other nations in our devotion to the study of languages. And quote, that's from the Juvenile Instructor from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Volume 3, page 214, and it was given March 15th, 1898. Okay, I keep getting reminded to talk to you guys about something. So we're almost, well, let me see here. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, what I wanted to talk, I think we should start a trend. If you are a return missionary, wherever the home office of your mission was, you should put a flag on your car for that mission. So for me, um, my mission was the Georgia-Macon mission, headquartered in Macon, Georgia. Now, we had part of, of uh, Florida, we had part of Alabama, and we had part of South Carolina in our mission. But I wouldn't put those other flags for those other states on my car because my the headquarters of my mission, where I went to as a missionary in the late 90s, was Georgia and I think it would be cool if like you know if, if there's a husband and wife like my good friend sister Conklin I went to the missionary training center with her and I fell in love with that woman I mean I loved her and then sister Ryan from Georgia I loved her too like really appreciated of course I love the MTC because I felt the spirit so strong there all of the time. I mean, it was the best, the best time of my mission. Because for when I actually went out to the mission field, I got really sick, and then I didn't get better until eventually I, I went home. Um, but I was sick like the whole time on my mission. But the MTC, I was fine. And I love the MTC so much. I loved it so much. And my friends in the MTC were in my district, you know. And anyway, but Sister Conklin, she went to a mission, Anaheim, California mission. 
and she met her future husband there, who is also a missionary. You know, but there's other, um, so you would have like basically two, two flags for the state of California. And maybe you could write or take a, a sticker, you know, and write his mission and then the California and her mission. I don't know. It's just a thought. But like if you had returned missionaries who served in two different uh, states or two different nations, like have two different flags in your car. I would love to see if all of the return missionaries would do that. I don't care if you're 80 years old or if you just got off your mission like my nephew who actually went to New Hampshire on his mission, which I thought was funny because that's where my wife and I lived before we came to Utah. But, uh, you know, he married a girl and and, uh, I don't know if she's a return missionary or not. I don't think she is. But anyway... But he would have the new New Hampshire flag on the back of his car. You know, and if you have two returned missionaries, and this one would be the funniest. So, believe it or not, there are men who are returned missionaries who leave the corporate church to pursue plural celestial marriage. And their wives were in the corporate church as well. So... Uh, if their wives were return missionaries and their return missionaries, each car, you know, could have like three or four or five different flags on it according to what mission they came from. So I know that the corporate church doesn't like it when we point these things out, but there are a lot of fundamentalists within the LDS church who are not polygamists, but they're fundamentalists, which they're two separate things. Uh, But then there are a lot of, uh, not a lot maybe, I don't know. But there are those who are, who are polygamists that are return missionaries. Anyway, I know that's a tangent. I need to get off that tangent. So let's continue with the reading. The variety of languages on the earth is the result of wickedness. So the question now is, will the earth ever receive a common language among the nations? The Apostle Orson Pratt spoke on this subject and explained the promise of universal language. Quote, Let us now compare our present means of obtaining knowledge with the facilities which are, no doubt, in store for the people of God. Will there be a pure language restored? There will. Though the testimony of the prophet, uh, through the testimony of the prophets, we are also told that tongues shall cease. Are we to understand by this that the great varieties of languages and tongues that have existed on the earth for many ages are to be done away? They are to cease. Now something must take the place of those imperfect, confused languages and tongues. We're on page 18, by the way. What is that something? It is a language that is spoken by higher orders of beings in ourselves. That is, beings that have progressed further than than ourselves. It is that same language that that, 
that was spoken for nearly 2,000 years after the creation. That was a spoke that was spoken by Adam and his children from generation to generation that came down to the flood and was taught extensively among the children of Noah until the Lord, by a direct miracle, caused the people to forget their own mother tongue and gave them a variety of new tongues that they had no knowledge of, and by this means scattered them abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And now that same being that destroyed the memory of the people at the building of the tower so that they could not remember their own mother tongue, and that same being that gave to them new new language and tongues will operate again by his power to do away to do away this curse, for I consider it a curse, and the blessing will be as great and extensive as the curse in destroying it from the face of the earth. Orson Pratt, Journal of Discourses, Volume 3, page 100. By the way, the Tower of Babel was a temple. It was a temple. which was created with the false priesthood. And that's why God couldn't allow it. So uh, it wasn't a tower that reached the heavens physically. It was a tower to reach the heavens spiritually. But continuing on anyway, the promise has been made by the Lord that someday we would have a common language and a peaceful earth. Now we shall look at the evidence of that promise being fulfilled and how man will be able to achieve that blessed condition. So the next chapter that we'll go through in this book is chapter 3, starting on page 19, and we'll be talking about the gift of tongues. So the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, and the phone lines are now open. All right, so that was the reading for today. Hello, Emmett. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Did you get enough sleep today? More or less. I'm still tired, though. Yeah, so last night for the uh, people, you know, the listeners, uh, we got a call from the appraiser, and he told us that he was coming out tomorrow morning, which yeah, was eight. Yeah. That's great. I'm really late from my in-laws. I didn't Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, so one of the other uh, drivers was just telling me. So I got to the truck today, and there was a, a hat that I usually, um, you know, I usually wear a specific style of hat. And uh, one of the other drivers got this hat from Italy, 
and uh, never really fit him right, so he gave it to me. So I was wondering where that hat came from. Anyway, um, so what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, the appraiser. Like, we were thinking he's going to come next week, but, uh, yeah, he came today at 8 in the morning. So I cut out of work about 12.30 last night and went home, and Emmett, Emmett and I went to the store and grabbed some some go-go juice and some donuts, and we stayed awake all night long doing the things to get uh, to wrap up so that the appraiser could, uh, you know, not say, oh, it's Quebec or something like that, you know. I had to tear, had to tear out some stairs that uh, that I built that went go up to the attic above our garage. They told us, the inspector told us you can have a ladder there that's loose, but you can't have a fixed structure. Uh, especially this steep, and they were really steep stairs, like, I don't know, uh, 65% angle. I mean, it was almost a ladder, but it was fixed, you know. So I had to tear that out. We had to do a bunch of other little things, but everything went well with the appraisal today. He left about 9.30, and Emmett and I went to bed about 10, and uh, I got up at 3. So what was that, like five hours of sleep for me? which is about par for the course with my life. So I'll be fine. I'll just drink more go-go juice. I got these energy drinks to help me out. Anyway, is Kim on? Kim, are you on? She's exhausted too because she stayed up till yeah. 1130 last night trying to get the things done that she could do. And then she had Midnight, to go to work yeah. all day. <laughs> yeah, so um, are you good to read? Hold on. I don't know why we all need to know that. Oh, Kim dropped off again. I got one hour delay. Oh, my. I've been in the shop. I wish I didn't have to be on the CB radio when I'm trying to do my program, but when I'm up here at the mine, uh, I got to hear what's going on, even though there's a lot of chatter that doesn't have anything to do with the actual job. But everybody Sorry can congregate here. It's fine. All of a sudden, it just I was dropped, just, and I was like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> yeah, it dropped like it dropped before the program started, and then the program yeah. wouldn't start because you weren't connected. And I was like, "Ah!" <laughs> yeah, and, and it was trying to call me. And you were trying to call me, and I was like, "I'm trying to call back." <laughs> and then I was like, "Great!" Because the other day when I tried to call, and it kept telling me there is no show, and then. It wouldn't oh, even, was, it yeah, yeah. yeah, for those of you who tried to call up. or to listen online or to call in yesterday, I screwed up. So I was in a big hurry yesterday when I was trying to set the program up. And there is an option to do uh, 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes, 60 minutes, all the way up to 120 minutes uh, for the live stream. And then we can go into overdrive for an hour. Well, I forgot to click the option to go to 120 minutes because it it automatically starts out at 15. So so 15 minutes goes by, and all of a sudden we're in overdrive. And and once you go into overdrive, you cannot call in. 
<clears throat> that all. So yeah. uh, unless you call in the, the host line or to a line that's already in and you merge with them, you're just kind of, you know, you don't get to listen to it because the live streaming part stops and you don't get to call in. You know, so the program, we had to keep it to an, uh, under an hour and 15 minutes because it was 15 minutes live stream and an hour of overdrive. But we did finish the program yesterday. Um, you know, so, but people couldn't call in. So, but you know what I noticed on the statistics last night or, the, or today when I was doing the program? We had like 200 callers, or not callers, we had like 200 listeners listen to the program after it went to podcast. Oh. Um, yeah, so like, I guess people were listening on the live stream, which it doesn't really register that people are doing that. Uh, it'll tell me that how many callers we have per program, but it doesn't tell how many live streamers we have. But after the uh, after it goes to podcast, it'll go on the statistics about who's listening to the program. Not who, but like how many. So there was like a big spike yesterday. So I guess people were like, oh, I can't listen to it. So they decided to listen to it later or something. I don't know. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. So, um, Kim, are you too tired to read uh, the next chapter in Becoming One, or not Becoming One? Becoming One with Christ is a seminar, but the book is How to Qualify for the Celestial Kingdom Today. And I think we're in Chapter 5 in Section 2. Yeah, um, I totally would love to read that. I just ran to the store because I forgot the onions. But I, because of everything um, I was doing yesterday, I didn't have the mushrooms and onions. I'm just in um, Huntington, so <laughs> I can be right back over. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to um, talk about first before that so I can run and grab that or no? Oh, I'll find something. Uh, maybe Emmett can read. <clears throat> Emmett? Yeah, just for a minute. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the things that we got done last night was we cleaned out the office. And so it's nice and clean now, which uh, it hasn't been clean nice. for a while. Because Emmett likes to go in there with his food and drink and utensils and plates, and then he just doesn't bring them back out. Yeah, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah, all right. So um, I'm next in line to get loaded here, so it's going to get loud. So when the coal falls out of the chute and goes into my big aluminum trailers, oh, my gosh, you got to have hearing, uh, like, protection on. It gets so loud. So, um, Emmett, can you... I don't. I didn't hear you. Can you read the next chapter or start reading, and then Mom will uh, will take over as soon as she gets home. Yeah, I gotta get up though. Yeah. I just woke up. Oh, are you laying at bed still? Yes. <laughs> so the reason why I told Mom to wake you up is because if you sleep all day, and then you wake up at ten o'clock at night, you're gonna screw yourself up so if you just get up for a little while like when I am uh, on Fridays you know I, I get home and I try to go to sleep and uh, what the heck hold on okay anyway I try to go to sleep 
and then I wake up and I try to stay awake even though I'm exhausted so that I can go to bed, you know, with mom. So, so, uh, you know, you'll be able to, yeah, you'll be able to sleep fine tonight, hopefully, but uh, you might be a little bit tired right now, but uh, if you, if you stay in bed, nope, if you uh, stay in bed until truck or one truck can come up, anyway, so, um, Anyway, if you stay in bed until whatever, 10, 11 o'clock tonight, then you're going to really see stuff up. So, Emmett, go ahead and get to the book. And, uh, okay, Emmett, can you go read the book? So I can mute myself, so I don't have to. Uh, so you guys don't have to listen to all of this radio chatter. I'm trying. Okay, just get to it when you can get to it. I, I'm just going to mute myself because I need to turn this radio up, and it, you guys don't need to hear it. So. Okay. I have the book. Um, which one are we reading? Hold on. So we have two of these books, but I don't know if they're both on the same place or not. One's on chapter seven, one's on chapter five. I think we're on chapter five. Chapter five is right. Okay, got it. Chapter 5, Temporal and Spiritual Realities. In order for a person to develop the pure love of Christ, he must understand the spiritual dimension where these feelings are understood, developed, and bestowed. As one functions in this life, it is evident that there are two different dimensions of reality, and that each dimension operates under definite laws. For example, Alma, Alma and Amulek were cast into prison for preaching the gospel. Alma chapter 14. And the rulers of uh, Amonahai, or Amanaha, or something like that, demanded that all the wives and children of those men who believed the word of God should be cast into the fire. The rulers brought Alma and Amulek out of prison to watch this horrible execution. When Amulek saw the agony of the woman and the little children in the flame, he cried out to Alma, How can we witness this awful scene? Therefore, let us stretch forth our hands and exercise the power of God which is in us, and save them. Alma replied calmly that the Spirit told them that they should not do that, that the deaths of these innocents would stand in judgment against their destroyers. And the suffering saints were being received by the Lord unto his glory. After this, Alma and Amulek were cast back into prison and not fed or given water. Their clothes were taken from them, and they were bound with strong cords. They were ridiculed. Many came up to them and smote them, and many spit in their faces. After many days of such treatment, Alma at last cried to God to give them strength according to their faith, which was in Christ. 
Hold on, I gotta clear my throat really bad. Ugh. Okay, after many days of such treatment, Alma cried to last, or at last cried to God to give them strength according to their faith, which was in Christ. They broke their cords, then the earth shook mightily, and the walls of the prison fell, crushing and killing those who were persecuting them. Dad, you're unmuted. Do you have something oh, to say? Oh, sorry. Nope. Okay. And Alma and Anulak came forth out of the prison. They were not hurt, er, and they were not hurt, for the Lord had granted them power according to their faith, which was in Christ. Alma chapter 14, verse 28. Oh, I don't know why I can't clear my throat. Alma and Amulek were imprisoned and suffered great emotional and physical pain inflicted by their enemies in the temporal world. But they found confidence and security and even peace in their persecution and in the deaths of the women and children in the spiritual dimension. In the spiritual dimension, the power to do comes from God. Alma and Amulek called on God for spiritual power to break their cords and for the powers of heaven to crush their prison walls. Their escape was based upon their faith in God in Jesus Christ. They exercised their spiritual senses. Had Alma and Amulek operated only in the temporal dimension, they would have exercised faith in themselves. They would have used their abilities, mental and physical, to escape. They would have dug a tunnel under the walls or overpowered their guards or waited until their friends came to free them. If you had a daughter near death in the hospital, you would seek the Lord's help through mighty prayer and fasting, but if you restricted your efforts to the temporal dimension, you would seek the best doctors. If you restricted your efforts to the temporal dimension, you would seek the best doctors you could afford. You would study your daughter's sickness, give her suggested drugs, change her diet, and so on. You would show love to the daughter by being near her side day and night. The temporal dimension is restricted by the physical world. The spiritual dimension is not restricted or restricted by either the physical world or mortality. In order to act in the spiritual dimension, we need to open our minds and hearts to God. There is no other way. In order to act in this spiritual dimension, we have or we need to have knowledge about this dimension. We need to know what is required of us and what we may expect. In order for you to use the powers of heaven to heal your daughter, you must be clean, you must be living the commandments sufficiently to be worthy of grace, and you must have the authority or acknowledgement of God to act in his behalf. You must believe without a doubt, or your faith will not be sufficient to open the doors of heaven. And when those great doors open, the spiritual dimension with all its powers and blessings will come available to you, just as real are, or just as real as are the sky and the earth in the temporal dimension. A babe, newly born into the world, learns about his temporal environment as he experiences it. He touches and watches and listens. He stuffs things in his mouth to find out how they taste. When he grows older, he will learn of more complicated things. He will learn suffering by suffering and sin by sinning. In his time, his experience in the temporal dimension may overwhelm his spiritual sensitives. For what man knows the things of God? Save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God 
the nat- but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, or neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. First Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 14. Because a natural man has never experienced a spiritual dimension, it ceases to exist for him. But the spiritual dimension does exist, whether it is recognized or not. We're on page 58. Anything to say, Dad? Nope. I am good. I love this stuff. Thank you for reading it. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, Mom, are you almost here? I don't know. Probably not. I'll be there in a minute. Probably still at the store. Okay. Okay, I'm just going to finish reading this page. I'm almost done with the chapter two. There's only one more page after this one. (laughs) And it has no physical limitations. You might have a son or daughter on a mission in England or China, and through the spiritual dimension, bring protection, love, and inspiration to them. You can cause the doors to open in far-off countries to your missionary, and cause the rain to come or stop, and the sun to hold its position, or great mountains to move. But in the temporal dimension, you are limited to helping only those who are physically near you, or who can be reached by phone or mail. In the Book of Mormon, Jacob defended truth, or no, defined truth, or reality, as things they really are. Or things as they really are. And of the things as they really be, really will be. Oh, I keep like skipping over a word at the end. He explains that the Spirit seeketh the truth, and the truth explains that which is real. Jacob chapter 4, verse 13. This concept that truth is only reality is repeated in the Doctrine and Covenants. And truth is knowledge of things as they are, and as they were, and as they are to come. E.N.C. section 93, uh, verse 23, or 24. To perceive reality is to understand things as they really exist. One's mind can perceive and interpret spiritual realities as well as temporal realities. The scriptures are definite in recognizing that these two dimensions exist and are available to man. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. And it came to pass that I said unto them that it was a representation of things, both temporal and spiritual. Yea, even in the works which were done by the temporal body. First Nephi chapter 15, verse 32. Asking for whatever things ye stand in need, both spiritual and temporal. Alma chapter 7, verse 23. For by the power of my spirit, I created them. Yea, all things, both spiritual and temporal. First spiritual, secondly temporal, which is the beginning of my work. And again, first temporal and secondly spiritual, which is the last of my work. D&C section 29, verses 31 and 32. These two dimensions are meant to be mutually supported supportive, that is, they exist in a kind of partnership in which each enhances and enriches the other. Man, as he becomes aware, stands to benefit immeasurably, both temporally and spiritually, by exchange. We're on page 59. Uh, Anything to say, guys? 
no, yeah, it's but in temporally. Utah, temporal. <laughs> yeah, and not temporal, yeah, it sounds but weird. I mean, it's fine. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it sounds I, weird you know to know I'm saying it because my nose is like overly stuffed because I just had a bloody nose. <laughs> well, I've heard people say temporally, temporally, but in Utah, we say things differently, temporally. Of course, Emmett grew up in... Well, what? Well, you're seven. You were seven when we left New Hampshire. So, at least, at least he's not like mom that says that's wicked awesome. Nah, <laughs> that's just cool. That's cool. <laughs> so the appraiser today was like, he said something in our wicked something, and I said, uh, did you live in New England? <laughs> He said, yep, Vermont. I was like, Vermont. I was like, yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> anyway, uh, is that the end of the chapter? You have one page left? or I have the majority of one page left. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, for example, most of our experiences are in the physical world. It is in the physical world that we spend our or we earn our living, raise our family, associate with others, and spend much time in eating, exercising, and being entertained. Yet each of us was sent, sent to this world to overcome the world. D&C, section 64, verse 2. To put it under our control along with the appetites, desires, and passions of mortality. Talmud, chapter 38, verse 12. <clears throat> This great temporal assignment can best be done through using the spiritual dimension. For example, hold on. Oh, this is really bad. I have like a cough now. Uh, continuing on, temporal assignment can be done through using the spiritual dimension. For example, if a couple is experiencing great financial struggle, or perhaps deep family problems, they have two dimensions through which to seek solutions. They can solve, or they can probe the ways of the world and perhaps solve their problems through reason, study, and effort. Or they may seek additional help through the spiritual dimension and receive insight and guidance and spiritual strength to endure and overcome, even through the difficulty may seem or even though the difficulty may seem never completely solved, they will find meaning and purpose and dimension or and strength against the temporal struggle from the spiritual dimension. And there are other beliefs or benefits, wrong thing. They will come to a closeness with Heavenly Father, which will expand their spiritual insights and give them peace which can be experienced only as they overcome the temporal through the spiritual. It happens again and again as one seeks for a testimony of his spiritual worth. He feels impressed to read the scriptures and pray about what he or what the prophets have said. He begins to follow the scripture admonitions and treat himself as a son or daughter of God. He then looks about himself and sees others around him as children of God. The result is a feeling of increased love and respect for himself and for others. His soul is filled, he sees everything more clearly, and the new perceptions and application in his life bring great joy to him. 
his life becomes more full and his experience become very delicious or experiences become very delicious and precious to him. That is the end of chapter five. And now we're on chapter six, the three dimensions of man. Okay. Well, good job, Emmett. Um yeah, you should probably take some youth connect. So I'm dealing with the same crud that you're dealing with. You have a headache too? <clears throat> Excuse me, I have had a headache. I don't have one today, but the last two or three days I have had a headache when I wake up. So we do have uh, acetaminophen and um, Excedrin or whatever. I don't know. Okay. Uh, you could go into my our ba- uh, mom and my bathroom Ugh. and see what you can find. But... Um, yeah, so, uh, like I said before, um, you know, Satan's biggest goal is to distract us from uh, things that are true and things that are good. He can keep us distracted and busy. Uh, he's won a battle against us. But if we set aside a time when we wake up to focus on God and get Temporally focused, I mean, get spiritually focused instead of, because we wake up, we're temporally focused, you know. As missionaries, we'd wake up and we would do a couple of hours of scripture study every single day. That got us into a spiritual mindset so we could be more effective tools in the hands of God. And, um, you know, continuing on with that practice is something that most people don't do. They will... um, you know, they'll wait till the end of the day, and then they get into a spiritual mindset, and then they go to bed, and then get reset to a temple focus. You know, but if we don't have time in the morning, like, I don't doubt, like, my wife, no way. She's not going to be able to get up at 4.30 in the morning and study scriptures. It's just not going to happen. You know, she already gets up at 5.30 in the morning, and then, you know, she's up like rush Russian trying to get all the kids ready, get all of the hair done, <laughs> make sure that they're not wearing some punky booster like well, I don't even know. Like the things that my daughters bring down to to like get dressed in, I don't know, like, what are you doing? No, you're not going to school in that <laughs> You know, so um but what she does is she listens to Caleb, which is uh, kind of a modern music, uh, modern hymns, basically. And uh, that helps her to get in a spiritual focus. And then later on, you know, she can uh, hang out with me on this radio show since I don't hardly ever get to see her at night. But uh, it's because of the way the schedule is. But... Um, we can, uh, you know, read this stuff and talk about these things. And um, unfortunately for my wife, she is completely distracted because just, you know, we have a gentleman's farm, 10 acres, 12 goats, way too many chickens, you know, cats and a dog and uh, five kids, you know, and there's always something to do. Always something to do. Doesn't matter. So it's hard to sit down and just 
take the time to read, and she does, you know, when she doesn't have to run to the store and grab something like she did tonight. But um, it's good to be able to sit down and actually just, it doesn't matter what it is as long as we are focusing on God as we're doing it. So scripture study or reading books like we're reading uh, or, you know, whatever, it's just good to, to try to get into that spiritual mindset. And that opens up the windows of heaven so that we can receive inspiration and blessings and eventually revelation and visions and all that kind of stuff too. So anyway, uh, Kim, is there anything that you wanted to say before we uh, – cut the program short for today since we don't have any callers. I'm going to go ahead and uh, She said no to me a quarter of a second ago. Oh, okay. She uh, like, yeah. She's like busy cooking. She, she was and yeah. then she went to go to her phone and then I said that and she's like no and then she goes to get her phone and I'm like ha, no, take that. You know that guy, he said, why did you tear these stairs out going up into the attic above the garage? I was like, the inspector said that that you would have a problem with it. He's all, well, just put it back. (laughs) 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 I will. That really sucks because that was a pain in the butt to build those stairs. But whatever. Like, he was pretty cool. Yeah. We had good... And Emmett's like, you look like Sylvester Stallone. He does. <laughs> he has the weirdest looking nose. Yeah, he did. Uh, not not Sylvester today. We're, we're talking no, about like, Sylvester like before he 30 years aged. ago. <laughs> yeah, he he did. But he didn't have that dark, dark hair like like the Sly did. Mr. Sly himself. <laughs> so... Also, he told us that his son went to college and picked the easiest degree that he could get, which was uh, geology, I think. Geography. Geography. Anyway, so he could blow through it because he needed to have a degree so that he could be an, uh, an appraiser because in order to be an appraiser, you have to have a degree in something. And he wanted to be an appraiser with his dad. So he found the degree that was easiest and quickest to do, and that's what he did. And he well, never now he knows the layout degree. of the house really well. Yes. So we we actually talked for a little okay. while. It was and it made us funny. Know, good. <laughs> ha ha ha! <laughs> you know, I think it'd be cool to do his job because, like, he meets there a lot of people. Of, you know, I meet him once. You know, I guess a lot of the time he probably doesn't even meet the people. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I thought, well, that's a pretty good job. He's from Spanish Fork. And uh, he came down here to Emory County and did our house. And then he was headed over to the little town of Emory in Emory County because he had a house to do down there. And he actually has uh, appraised the values of a bunch of different houses right in the specific general area that we live in. So there's a house. Around about what do they go for? Well, things have changed. She'll let us know. I don't know. But anyway, um, so there's a house 
that's about a half a mile from us, which is literally two houses away, but it's a half a mile away, which is great. I love it. Anyway, he appraised our house uh, a number of years ago, so he's telling me about it. He's all, they have 20 acres and whatever. Anyway, but uh, I'm going in the dip now, so I'm going to cut out. If you don't have anything to say, Kim or Emmett, we can end the program. Let's say you. Uh, no one was in the studio. I, I just really wasn't paying attention. I was patting Tucker and talking to Olivia. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, remember, Fundamentally Mormon goes live Monday through Friday from 6 p.m. until we're finished or up to 8 p.m. And uh, it can go as late as 9 p.m., but uh, we don't do that very often. So, All right. Well, cue the music. Thanks for listening, everyone. Take care. Thank you.